Hi, David. Markets seem to be caught between good news on vaccines and bad news on the virus and growth. Hi, Alex. Yeah, I mean, the good news on vaccines keeps coming with the latest announcement by AstraZeneca um, Oxford and other vaccine trial results are likely over the coming weeks, for example, from Johnson & Johnson. Uh, The AstraZeneca vaccine is much cheaper and easier to distribute than the other vaccines. And, you know, I think that's clearly a positive, especially for uh, developing countries with less uh, sophisticated health delivery systems. So clearly good news. Um, That said, uh, the AstraZeneca vaccine trial um, did report a lower efficacy uh, rate than, you know, reported by uh, BioNTech and, and, and Moderna except for a much smaller sample that accidentally received a lower dosage. And so I I think there's still some questions around um, not only AstraZeneca and Oxford, but also some uncertainties as as, as the data is processed around all of the vaccines. But nonetheless, we are getting this um, good news on on, on vaccines. Uh, Interestingly, the market reaction to each positive vaccine announcement is becoming... Um, less pronounced. I don't think that means that the impact of an earlier and more effective vaccine treatment is therefore sort of fully priced by the market. If if vaccines fulfil their promise of a full reopening of economies and and more complete recovery, then their impact's going to be felt over the next 12 months and, and beyond. But until vaccines are rolled out and we see that positive impact on growth, then I think the market's going to struggle to fully price that uh, while grappling with the current reality of a second wave of virus infections and lockdowns. The, the latest PMIs confirm that economic activity in Europe is contracting. Uh, the US economy is doing better, but retail sales growth has started to slow. Uh, Uh, jobless uh, claims have started to um, pick up. And so I do think the spread of the virus and renewed restrictions is going to weigh on the US recovery into year end and early next year. So, you know, we have good news on vaccines. Markets are um, forward looking, but there still is the current reality of the virus continuing to spread, a deteriorating near term outcome economic outlook and and simply uncertainty around how quickly vaccines can be distributed and allow for a full reopening uh, of economies and return to normality. US Treasury Secretary Mnuchin has told the Fed to wind down its credit facilities. What are the implications of the US credit market? Uh, Yeah, I mean, that was a surprise. So uh, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin uh, told the Fed that he wants a return of outstanding Treasury funds that are used to backstop the Fed's credit facilities, which he said, you know, should come to an end on the 31st of December. Um, Interestingly, the Fed responded with a rather terse statement that I think clearly indicates it would rather have kept these facilities in place and and actually noted that there are Treasury funds in the uh, so-called exchange stabilisation fund that could be used to backstop Uh, the Fed's credit facilities. So um, the the previous fiscal stimulus package, the CARES Act, appropriated about $450 billion for Fed programs, of which almost $200 billion was approved by uh, Mnuchin as first lost capital that the Fed could therefore leverage um, 10 times. So 
Although the Fed's only actually bought around about $25 billion worth of credit assets under these um, uh, facilities, uh, it could have bought up to $2 trillion, but it was its credibility and the signaling effect meant that it didn't actually sort of need to be active in, in the market in order to provide support to uh, a well-functioning um, credit market. And I think it highlights the contrast with the ECB corporate purchase program where they're buying 10, 12 billion euros plus uh, a month because it's part of the ECB's broader uh, QE program. So while the Fed's not really been present in US credit markets directly, I think you know investors have really kind of shrugged off this uh, news. But I have to say, I do think that these facilities did cut off the, the left tail, if you like, of a repeat of the blowout in credit spreads and market dysfunction that occurred in March. And I think it's unnecessary to take that away right now. Um, I think the new administration may try to put these facilities back in place, although it's not going to be easy because it will require congressional approval to appropriate um, Treasury funds other than the $40 billion or so that's sitting in the um, Exchange Stabilization Fund, which can be used without um, congressional um, approval. You know, but, but the backstop would be much, much smaller. And, and actually between end of December and when the new administration comes in, which is not until January 21, there's going to be no you know, Fed credit um, backstop. So, yeah, it's not had an impact on the market. I don't really expect it to have an impact on the market as these facilities are, are wound down. The, the US credit market's in a in a pretty robust shape uh, right now. But, you know, as with all insurance, you, you only really value it when bad things and unexpected things happen. So I, I do think it is a, a negative development. President Trump has finally said that the transition to the incoming Biden administration should go ahead. What's your view on what a Biden administration will look like? Well, I think that the big news for investors is that Janet Yellen, uh, former chair of the Federal Reserve, is Biden's pick for Treasury Secretary. Uh, She undoubtedly has the policy experience and economic expertise. and, uh, And I think it bodes well for cooperation between Treasury and the Federal Reserve, which, you know, is going to need you know patching up after the uh, sort of spat we've we've been talking about between uh power Mnuchin over the uh, credit facilities and Janet Yellen's also been a vocal advocate that you know support for the recovery cannot be left to the fed alone and that more fiscal uh stimulus is needed i mean the challenge is going to be to 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 reach agreement and navigate that through the rough and tumble of uh congressional politics there is actually some speculation that the other potential candidate for uh, Treasury Secretary under uh, President-elect uh, Biden administration is actually was, was actually going to be a current Fed Fed Governor uh, Lael Brainard, and so the speculation now is that she might actually be nominated as uh, Fed Chair when uh, Jerome Powell's term comes to an end in February 2022. I think you know still a little way um, away. The, the, the other important uh, you know, uh, nomination for the uh, Biden administration is Anthony Blinken as uh, Secretary of State. He's a longstanding associate of uh, Joe Biden and an experienced Washington hand. And I think you know, Blinken and Biden are multilateralists. And I think this does indicate a reversal of the you know, isolationist and more confrontational 
uh, America first approach of the Trump uh, presidency. So you know, trade tariffs aren't going to be there. I think go to uh, sort of foreign policy tool, um, and and you know it was those trade tariffs and the threat of them, which was pretty disruptive for uh, for, for for markets. Instead, I think you know the Biden administration is going to be looking to build international alliances to, for example, you know contain China. Um, and, and may well actually adopt a tougher stance with China and other countries on issues like, you know, human rights, um, uh, for example. So, you know, it, it, it doesn't mean necessarily a, a meaningfully sort of softer uh, uh, approach, but I, I think it's going to be less disruptive for markets because it's going to be less focused in terms of bilateral trade uh, relationships and, and, and tariffs. Um, so the bottom line is that I think Biden's picks for Key jobs so far have been centrist, they've been pragmatic, uh, very much as sort of veteran Washington insiders. And I think that's going to be reflected in the nature of his administration. I think broadly speaking, that's going to be, you know, pretty welcome for international um, investors who will no longer have to kind of you know deal with, if you like, the, some of the unpredictability and uh, you know, headline risks that used to come from uh, President Trump's Twitter feed. And finally, we had the UK Chancellor announce a spending review. What were the takeaways? I don't think there was much in there that was um, surprising, but the picture painted by the Chancellor was uh, pretty ugly. So it's, uh, they think, going to be the deepest UK recession since, apparently, uh, the Great Frost of 1709, which was another natural disaster. It was actually the coldest winter in Europe uh, for uh, 500 years. And the current UK budget deficit is actually the biggest in its peacetime um, history. So the UK economy is forecast to shrink by more than 11% this year. So that will make it actually the worst performer uh, in the G7. Um, there is quite a strong rebound forecast over 2021 and, and 2022, but UK doesn't get back to its pre-pandemic output uh, levels until the uh, end of 2022 at the uh, earliest. Um, in interestingly, the, there was an upside scenario that assumes that if there's a more rapid rollout of the vaccine and, and therefore quicker recovery, there won't be any permanent loss of output or economic scarring from the pandemic. And I think more, more broadly, that's why you know the speed at which the vaccine is distributed and proves effective and we can get to a reopening does matter not only in terms of the sort of short-term economic recovery, but more generally in terms of limiting the amount of permanent damage to not only the UK economy, but but, but more generally. Um, I know you won't thank me for this, Alex, but um, I am going to very briefly mention the dreaded Brexit um, because there was a scenario uh, in the government forecasts around uh, Brexit, which suggested that if there's a no deal outcome, so the UK uh, leaves the customs union and single market on the uh, 31st of December and, and goes on to a sort of basic WTO terms, then it actually estimates a short-term cost to the UK economy of around about 2% of GDP. And that would be on top of what it thinks is going to be a 4% sort of uh, long-term cost in terms of lower productivity that's going to come about even with a deal as a result of uh, leaving the EU um, single market. Uh, a lot of rumour and speculation that the EU and UK are very close to a trade deal. We should know in the next 
uh, week or two, uh, famous last words, I know. Um, but I do think a deal will be done and and, think, and hopefully we will be able to move on from that particular topic. Well, no doubt we'll speak to you then, David. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Alex. This podcast is issued in the United Kingdom by Blue Bay Asset Management LLP, which is authorised and regulated by the UK Financial Conduct Authority, registered with the US Securities and Exchange Commission and the US Commodity Futures Trading Commission, and is a member of the National Futures Association. This podcast may also be issued in the United States by Blue Bay Asset Management LLC, which is registered with the SEC and the NFA. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Unless otherwise stated, all data has been sourced by Blue Bay. To the best of Blue Bay's knowledge and belief, this podcast is true and accurate at the date hereof. Blue Bay makes no express or implied warranties or representations with respect to the information contained in this podcast and hereby expressly disclaim all warranties of accuracy, completeness or fitness for a particular purpose. This podcast is intended for professional clients and eligible counterparties as defined by the FCA only and should not be relied upon by any other category of customer. Except where agreed explicitly in writing, Blue Bay does not provide investment or other advice and nothing in this podcast constitutes any advice nor should be interpreted as such. No Blue Bay fund will be offered except for suitant and subject to the offering memorandum and subscription materials. The offering materials. If there is an inconsistency between this podcast and the offering materials for the Blue Bay Fund, the provisions in the offering materials shall prevail. You should read the offering materials carefully before investing in any Blue Bay Fund. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or investment product in any jurisdiction and is for information purposes only. No part of this podcast may be reproduced in any manner without the prior written permission of Blue Bay Asset Management, LLP. Copyright 2020, Blue Bay. The investment manager, advisor and global distributor of the Blue Bay Funds is a wholly owned subsidiary of Royal Bank of Canada and the Blue Bay Funds may be considered to be related and or connected issuers to Royal Bank of Canada and its other affiliates. Registered trademark of Royal Bank of Canada. RBC Global Asset Management is a trademark of Royal Bank of Canada. Blue Bay Asset Management LLP, registered office, 77 Grosvenor Street, London, W1K 3JR, partnership registered in England and Wales, number OC370085. The term partner refers to a member of the LLP or a Blue Bay employee with equivalent standing. Details of membership of the Blue Bay Group and further important terms which this message is subject to can be obtained at www.bluebay.com. All rights reserved.